Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Asawa continues our series on the letters of Paul to the church at Corinth. Today, looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And now, here's Steve. Good morning. It's great to see everybody out this morning. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. They're all beautiful, aren't they? Especially when we can just be here, just focusing on the Lord. Indeed, our hearts singing about Jesus. Thank you, Hannah and Ryan and Trevor, for just drawing our attention to the Lord and just for the, the focus and way that we can just praise him and just think about him through music. It's just wonderful. This morning we're going to be looking at Second Corinthians chapter 3, just continuing our study in Corinthians. And just by way of context, I think most of you know, but Paul was just dealing with some different issues in this young church in Corinth. And he was even getting challenged, although he was the church father, so to speak. People were even challenging why he should be qualified to go and teach and challenging things he was teaching. So this morning we're going to take a quick look at his letter of recommendation. We'll compare the covenant that God made with Moses the one that, and the one that Paul was preaching about and what the implications are for us today. We'll see that the law came in glory it was written on tablets of stone. The law, however, points people to Christ, who is the mediator of the new covenant of which Paul was a minister. The new covenant is far, far more glorious than the old one was. It's permanent. It's done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is active, working in our hearts, bringing people life and joy and transforming them into the image of himself. Let's just commit our time to prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, I just pause and just again marvel that the God who created and sustains the heavens and the earth created and sustains ones like us. It's just so amazing. And more amazing is that you loved us so much that you sent us your Son, be the propitiation for our sin, that in accepting Jesus, we can have a relationship with you. It's just so amazing. Father, thank you for your word and your spirit, and I just pray that you would guide my words as we look into this passage this morning. Help us all, Father, just to open our hearts and minds to what you would have each of us learn and apply to our lives, that we would draw closer to you, be more like you, and in doing so glorify you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Just going to start reading the passage. And I'm going to start from the last verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we, be, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? 
You yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. There was no shortage of false prophets and false teachers in Paul's day. As Mark noted last week, there are many teachers who are giving a watered-down version of the gospel. They weren't telling the whole truth. Their version of the gospel was softened to tickle the ears of those who heard. And many were in it for the money. The false teachers were trying to pull people away from the truth of the gospel. Don't listen to Paul. He doesn't really know what he's talking about. We know things he doesn't. And, you know, who commended him? We're commended by so-and-so. Now, from Paul's letter, I think we can infer that one of the things false teachers were trying to do was pull people away from the gospel, pull them back to the old ways, to the Mosaic law. The gospel was a radical change, and it was disturbing many people, many Jews especially, whose whole culture revolved around the feasts and the sacrifices and everything else. So that, that was a huge change and many just couldn't accept it and wouldn't accept who Jesus was. So needless to say, there were many who wanted to discredit Paul's ministry and his message. So Paul has to remind the Corinthians again, and we saw a bit of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where he had to talk about his credentials. He said, take a look at his life and his ministry and see that he is the real deal when it comes to teaching and living out the gospel. Now, as common practice in Paul's day, for people to carry letters of recommendation to be welcomed with open arms into a church, Paul himself followed this practice when he needed to. In this situation, though, he's taking a stab at his opponents. And he's saying, you know, really? I need to validate my credentials? And in those days, honorable people didn't go and say, hey, look how good I am and look at all these things I've done. The only time it would be fair game to do that is if they're defending themselves. And a commendation or a letter of recommendation would come from one of higher status and be given to one of lower status. And Paul's letter of recommendation comes from Jesus himself. Like, how much higher can you get in terms of status from the person recommending it? In Exodus 24:12, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. How amazing is that? God inscribed his expectations for people on tablets of stone. This is part of what we refer to as the Mosaic Covenant, or a contract or agreement that God established for his people through Moses. Later on, the prophet Jeremiah spoke of another covenant, the one Paul's been talking about. The terms of this covenant, though, are going to be written on a different medium, though, not on tablets of stone. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. 
Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So not only is Paul's commendation from the highest authority there is, but it's sent in a novel way, isn't it? Not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul's letter was written through the lives of the people. His was a real, was a living letter. It could be read at any time, and it was always current, and it was always available for anyone just to see and read. So a question for each of us. If someone were to consider our lives as the letter of recommendation, would it be a glowing recommendation or a glowing reference? Would people take note and refer to our reference over and over? Or would they look at that letter of reference spelled in our lives and just say, this is junk mail, get rid of it? Now Paul notes that this and our, his and our confidence comes through Christ and his and our competence comes through God. All we have is a gift from God, isn't it? Whatever we do for him, we know will be worthwhile. Part of Paul's message is that we need to check to follow with God, check with God to follow his leading, as opposed to us coming up with our own plans and then asking God, hey, wasn't this great? Wasn't that a blessing to you? The gospel message can only go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of men or women. As we sang this morning, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Paul notes that the new covenant is not of the letter which kills. So the people had agreed to follow God's law and they had agreed to follow the sacrifices and the offerings that were required of them. And the shedding of blood was an integral part of it. Jesus, however, was the sacrifice, the only sacrifice needed in the new covenant. His spirit works in our hearts and helps us live the way God intended. And his spirit brings life and it brings joy. The prophet Ezekiel said this in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 28. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. So let's just turn back to 2 Corinthians 2, reading from verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which engraved on letters of stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory that lasts? So the law or letter brought death. There's nothing wrong with the law itself. Unfortunately, human nature prevents people from being able to follow every aspect of it, isn't it? It's important to note that though that this ministry, which was engraved on tablets of stone, 
we're told it came with glory. Verse 29 of Exodus 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. So Paul isn't saying that the Lord is bad. Sorry, that the, definitely not saying the Lord is bad. He's not saying that the law is bad. I'm going to suggest that the new covenant built on the old. God didn't come up with a plan A, and then that failed, and therefore he came up with a plan B. The law or the ministry that brought death came with glory. It was good. It's just that the ministry of the Spirit is that much more glorious. And as good as the first ministry was, it was transitory. The second will last forever. So the first really pales in comparison to the second, doesn't it? It's like comparing the light of a flashlight with the light of the sun. We're talking real hardcore glory with the ministry of Jesus. In some ways, the law was like having a checklist of things you had to do or not do. Went to church today, didn't fall asleep. Check. Called my mom this week. That's honoring. Check. Didn't have an affair with somebody else. Check. Paid for that tool before leaving the store. Check. Now, if we only have a checklist of things that are going to get us to God, we're going to be miserable because we just can't get to them all, can we? We can't meet them all. We'll never be good enough. We can't work our way into a relationship with God because we'll always fall short. It also leads us to base our performance against the person beside us. Well, I'm okay, like... I'm way better than this person over here, or I don't do the things that that person over there does. And that's not what the standard's about, though. And that's the beauty of the new ministry that Paul talks about, the ministry that brings righteousness. In Romans 3.22, Paul notes that the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus for all who believes. By putting our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, we enter into a loving relationship with the God who created the heavens and the earth. Our sins are forgiven, and God sends his spirit to help and guide us. Isn't that amazing? You tried to wrap your head around that, really, and think how amazing that is. Back to Exodus 34, verse 33. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And he came out and told the Israelites what he'd been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went back in to speak with the Lord. Back over to 2 Corinthians, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. 
Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers our hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the Old Covenant required ongoing sacrifices to dress in. It didn't matter if you met the requirements one year. There was always a next time coming. And Jesus' sacrifice was, as people say, a one and done. Putting one's trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord has implications both now and has implications for our eternity. Those who belong to Jesus can rest assured that their sins are forgiven, that their eternity is determined. And this is the basis for the hope and the reason that we have and why we can be bold in proclaiming the gospel. The same way Paul was said, he's bold in proclaiming the gospel. So on the other hand, verse 13 notes that Moses veiled his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. And one can ask, why did he do that? Did he think they were likely to turn away because they saw the glory was fading? Did he think maybe they're not worthy of seeing the glory? Do you think they'd be hurt if they saw the glory? Maybe it was so that they wouldn't realize that the law resulted in judgment and ultimately death. You may recall that Paul was a Pharisee. He knew the law inside and out, and he sought to follow it for much of his life. Paul realized that his veil was taken away when he encountered Jesus. He then went on to boldly proclaim the gospel and point out the glory of the message, and he would debate with those who still had that veil over their hearts. He didn't sugarcoat the gospel like the false teachers did. He told the whole truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the Bible tells us that same veil remains for people even today. People didn't then and don't now realize that there's a far, far greater glory in the face of Jesus Christ than in the Mosaic Covenant or some other path that people take to find enlightenment or reach God. Jesus didn't abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Unfortunately, that spiritual veil still prevents people from acknowledging and accepting who Jesus really is. Now, that covenant, the Mosaic one, included numerous detailed instructions. I don't know about you. When I'm faced with reading instructions, especially anything talking about computers, there's a veil, maybe even a brick wall that comes up between me and those instructions. Even the simplest instructions make me nervous. Then someone like Eve comes up and he looks at them and he says, Oh yeah, this is what you have to do. No, that's why you can't do that. Uh, you know, it kind of then it starts to make a bit more sense. And I'm thinking, hmm, yeah, the first four commandments were, this is what you should be doing and what you have to do. And then there were a bunch that said, six that said, this is what you don't do. And I'm kind of thinking, hmm. Kind of like these computer instructions to me, anyway. And even after I explained it, it still doesn't make total sense, but my technological issue is resolved. The point is, I needed a helper to remove that veil. And perhaps some of you can remember the time when the veil was lifted from your heart, when you became a Christian and realized who Jesus was. Perhaps you can't, some here can't remember a time when they never didn't believe. 
It's my prayer that everybody here would come to the realization of who Jesus is, that he came for them, that he came for all of us, and that nobody would leave here without Jesus. And if anyone's out there wondering what I'm talking about or thinking, hmm, have a not so sure about this, please feel free to come and chat. I'd love to chat and just we can discuss that further. And Jesus then turns around and calls us to make disciples or followers. And some are more comfortable than others in doing this. I must admit, I'm in the latter group. Now, one of the challenges, though, of being the preacher is that you have to practice what you preach, isn't it? We can rest assured, though, that the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. And our job is to reach out, to leave the results in God's hands, to leave the unveiling to the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. And the Spirit, I think as most of us know, is the third person of the Godhead. We have a unique God, don't we? We have a God who is three in one. He's Father, He's Son, and He's Holy Spirit. Unlike the small g gods referred to in the Bible that so many worshipped and sought to appease through various rituals, our God loves and cares us for us so much that He sent His Son to earth for us and sent His Spirit to reside in us. What a difference in the approach and the attitude of our God versus those small g gods people were worshipping and trying to appease. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. We have freedom from bondage to sin when we trust in the Lord Jesus. We have freedom to honor the God, our Father, through our lives. We're told to love the Lord with all of our heart, our mind, our soul and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And we have that freedom to do it. And we're transformed into the Lord's image with ever-increasing glory. For me, metamorphosis comes to mind when I think of that. And I think of the change from a creepy-looking caterpillar to an amazing, beautiful butterfly. Now, I know my life was changed, was transformed when I became a believer, when I gave my life to Christ. I wasn't made perfect at the time, though, and still have a lot of room for improvement. Uh, each of us should, however, be in a constant state of transformation whereby we resemble our Lord more and more over time, shouldn't we? The Lord works in us. He just smooths over some of those rough edges. He doesn't just cover up. He takes away some of those blemishes in our past and helps us just to not be focused on them, but focus on the future and focus on him. <coughs> And the changes, though, when you think of it, they're coming from the inside out. You don't see the physical change yet. When Moses received the law, he was changed physically. His face was shining. It shone. Our changes are more internal. We will one day, though, be changed physically. One day when we're giving new bodies in that final resurrection. And we studied this a while back when we looked at 1 Corinthians 15. 
Recently, Linda and I had our satellite TV back reconnected again. I won't get into the why. And it was interesting. So we still had the dish on the roof. And there was the cable coming down into the basement. And whatever that little oops, receiver boxes, whatever. So we had it on. So we had the hardware. I needed to turn it back on. So we had somebody from Shaw on the phone. And he's walking us through the instructions to get the satellite back up and running on our TV. And unfortunately, things weren't working. I said, you know, the first thing you do, well, okay, well, try a different remote control. Okay, check. No signal. Try unplugging the TV and the satellite. Check. Okay, plug the satellite back in first, then the TV. Check. Check for a light on the satellite box. Check. Oh, but it goes on and then goes off again. Okay. No signal. Okay, well, unplug the HDMI cord from the back of the TV and plug it into the other input on the back of the TV. Check. No signal. Okay. Uh, just a second. got to go ask my supervisor. Wait. Okay. Check the battery on the remote. Yep. Unplug the TV and the satellite. Check. Okay. Plug in the satellite, then the TV. Yep. Okay, unplug the HDMI cord and turn it around so the end that was in the satellite is in the TV and vice versa. Check. No signal. Okay. Well, I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, go out and buy a new HDMI cord and then call us back if it doesn't work. Okay, well, thanks. I guess we'll be in touch. So after we hung up, I was rather frustrated, to say the least, and so I started tinkering with the remote, so... I pushed the little button on the top that says TV and pushed the power button. Then I pushed the little button that says sat or satellite and pushed the power button. And what do you know? We have satellite TV. And so we had followed all of the instructions, but somehow we had just failed to engage the satellite. And I'm sure that's on a top 10 list somewhere with the people at Shaw. In a similar fashion, we have all these instructions. We have God's word. But we need to engage the Holy Spirit if we really want to contemplate the Lord's glory. If we really want to understand his will for us and his plan for our lives. Hand in hand with seeking comes obedience. It's one thing to realize God's leading us in a certain direction. But then it's incumbent on us to follow, isn't it? Are you sure, God, that's really what you want me to do? Have you uh, thought about this other, like, the implications of that one? Is there something that's keeping you or keeping me from drawing closer to God? Joe Simprich said this. I'm going to paraphrase something he said. The more we die to ourselves and let Christ live in us, the more beautiful we become. Less focus on ourselves, more focus on God, more beauty, more glory to God. So to summarize our passage, we saw that Paul reminded the church in Corinth that unlike the false teachers, he himself was the real deal. His letter of recommendation was the people and is written on, hearts of, on human hearts through the Spirit of God. And we can only minister for God in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
we're reminded that the law inscribed in tablets and stone came in glory. The Israelites couldn't even look at the face of Moses. It was so radiant. The law, however, was transient and resulted in death. The new covenant, the ministry of the Spirit, is just so much more glorious. And the results are eternal. It brings life. It brings joy. And the question is whether we actually just know about God in our minds or we actually know God and have him in our hearts, isn't it? The veil that Moses put over his face is still a barrier for some today. It's a spiritual veil that covers people's hearts and keeps them from receiving the incredibly good news of Jesus Christ. We have freedom in the Lord, and he wants us to be transformed, to, to let Him, more of him, less of us. We're to seek and follow his leading, and in doing so, bring honor and glory to the one who created us, who loves us, who's revealed himself and his glory in the face of Christ Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, indeed, it is such an amazing thing that you've revealed your glory in our hearts, that you've shone your light in our hearts and we've been able to see the glory, the glory you've revealed in the face of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, just to draw closer to you. Help us, Father, to not only seek your will, but to follow it. And in doing so, may you receive the honor and glory. We just ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.